1975, which some of you remember, for some that's ancient history, for some you were in your prime in 1975, but in 1975 my parents got married in Danville, Kentucky. My dad was from Louisville, my mom was from Danville, they met uh, through a mutual friend and, and a year after they met uh, and, uh, and, and were engaged and all, they, they got married in 1975 and two years later I was born. And so when, when I was born, my dad was, was still in his uh, habit, as he was when he was married, of playing softball five nights a week. And you can imagine that my mother was none too pleased uh, to have a newborn baby and a husband who was playing softball five nights a week and on many weekends. Now, uh, it, I'm sure, I, I don't remember, because by the time that I remember anything, dad wasn't playing softball five nights a week, I think... <laughs> I think that got fixed fairly quickly, but I, I, can, I can assure you that being as how my mom was none too pleased, I'm sure they had many a, a, a conversation, a disagreement, if you will, whatever you want to call them, uh, about the fact that he was playing softball all the time. But I, I remember from very early on being at the field. That was some of my earliest memories. I, I remember going to watch my dad play. I, I remember... He always wore number 44. That was his number. And Hank now, I, I, my son, wears number 44 now because Pawpaw wore, you know, wore number 44. And so, you know, it, it was something that I just remember. It was just what we did when I was a kid. We were, at, we were there at the field. And, and, and it wasn't just something that Dad did. I remember very early on that Dad taught me how to play ball. That was just what we did as a family. And, and, and his dad had played, and his two brothers played, and so I, I just kind of picked it up naturally. Many of you uh, know that, you know, that's kind of been the pattern of my life. I played baseball, and I was, that was what I did, and I wasn't any good at anything else, so I had to do that. And so, so I, I, you know, that was, what, that was what my dad taught me, sort of by example, but he was also intentional about it. There were times when, when I remember that we would work hard at certain parts of the game of baseball. Uh, my dad was my coach all the way up until I was done with Little League Baseball, and and he would coach me and try to teach me as best he could different skills of the game. And so he not only did he sort of pass it on naturally to me, just sort of what we did, but he was also very intentional. He made time for that. He made sure I understood certain parts of the game and all of that. Baseball, though, wasn't the only thing in our family. Some of you have heard me preach over the last couple of months, few months. You think, well, good grief, that's all you ever did. But the other thing we did was, was, <clears throat> was the Bible. That was, I knew baseball and I knew the Bible. And that was it. And, and I, I'm, like I said, I wasn't any good at anything else besides baseball, so I couldn't do anything else. And I'm thankful that my parents taught me the Bible as well, because it certainly has paid off in my life. But I, I, remember, I remember those two things as a kid. I remember the Bible stories that my dad would read over and over and over. We had those, little, those blue old Bible story books. Some of you maybe have seen those. Now I see them every once in a while in a doctor's or office or dentist's office. And, and, I, and I immediately think of sitting in my bedroom or in my sister's bedroom and dad reading us those stories over and over again. I remember times seeing my dad sitting on the couch or in his chair reading the Bible. I remember that. I have vivid memories of that. I remember my mom's instruction over and over and over based upon biblical principles. I remember being challenged as a kid to memorize scripture, uh, to be at church when I could, to do things according to what God had said. And so those were things that we were just about in my family. That, that was what I picked up both naturally and then intentionally for my parents. I picked up baseball and I picked up the Bible. And so baseball and the Bible were what we did. That, that was it. And, and so through my life, that is, they've paid 
dividends, and I'm thankful for that. And I don't look at my life as somehow being skewed or, or bad or whatever because I picked up those things or, or somehow I was too sheltered or somehow I didn't get to do this or that because I was always playing ball or we based our life on the Bible or whatever. It was just what I did. And so uh, that was just a part of our family. There's no doubt that you have things in your life that are like that too. Yours may not be baseball, and for some of you, you just think, good grief, you know, that's all you talk about. That's all I know, okay? I I don't know anything else. I got nothing. I told you a few weeks ago, if you were here on a Sunday night, I told you I was going to tell you everything I knew about farming, and it took 20 seconds. That was it. You got to put good seed and good ground to have a chance of good crop. That's all I know. Now, that's, you know, that's, I know that's profound, but that's it. I don't know anything else. And so, but some of you do. Some of you know other things that you picked up as a kid. You picked up maybe a family business that now you do, or you, you retired from. You took it over from your, your grandfather who, who then passed it on to your dad or to, you know, and so on. And you just picked that up. And, and I think of you just, you know, businesses here in town, I'm sure have just been passed down from generation to generation or skills that you learned. And maybe you didn't go out and make money with it, but you, you know how to do things now because you, your parents taught you. Your mom taught you how to do this. Your dad taught you how to do that, whatever. And uh, maybe a, a hobby that you've picked up. I, I share a lot of the same hobbies that my dad has. We, we both like some of the same things. We talk about them quite a bit. And, and so maybe you've picked that up. Maybe, maybe you've picked up some sort of habit, good or bad, from your parents. And maybe you've tried to overcome that or accentuate that or build on it or whatever. Maybe you picked up a lifestyle, just sort of the way you live. Sort of pick that up from your parents, from your dad, your mom. Maybe you picked up some convictions. This is really what I believe. This is, this is what my life is going to be about uh, from, from your parents. We, we all have those things that both naturally flowed to us, and then I think also were intentionally put into us. Uh, by intention, our parents developed us to do this, or to think this, or to be this way, or whatever. And so uh, we, we have obviously the idea, both just in common sense, and as we'll see today in the Bible, that our parents pass things on to us, both just by nature and, and then by direct intention. And so I want us to think today not just about mothers and honoring them, though we do and we are absolutely thankful for the mothers that, that have done such an incredible job of raising children. At the same time, I want us to think in a broader scope about our responsibility and what the Bible has to say about raising kids that may or may not be our own, but impacting the young people that God has put around us. We saw this morning, I happen to be sitting right in the middle of all of them, lots and lots of kids. We have lots and lots of young people that we'll come into contact with, be it here at church or in your neighborhood or where you work or who you're around or in your family or whatever. And so I'm thankful that as we look at a topic like this today, I'm thankful that the Bible is, is not silent as it pertains to raising kids and training young people. God has got a ton to say about it. If you've read the Bible even just a little bit, especially through, say, the book of Proverbs or somewhere like that, you know there's a lot in there. It seems that God is talking an awful lot about what should we do for the young people and so on. And, and so today we're, we're going to touch on a very small part of it. We're not going to try to cover the entire Bible today. Some of you are saying, amen, I want to eat today. And so we're not going to try to cover the entire Bible. What we're going to try to do is look at a very small part and hopefully from there see where we can go. So if you've got a Bible uh, and, and you, you brought one with you, great. If not, these verses that, that I read will be on the screen behind me. 
but if you'd like to follow along in the Bible, feel free to do that. We're going to look first at sort of a guiding verse for us today. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. So if you've got your Bible, flip there with me real quick. If not, just pay attention to the screen, and these things as we, as we get there will be on the screen behind me. Your version may be a little bit different, so that's sort of why we put them on the screen, just to get everybody there on the same page as best we can. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I want you to read this verse with me out loud. And, and as we think about this, we'll read, it, we'll read it a couple of times. So read it with me out loud, in the version that's on the screen. You ready? Teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One more time together. Teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some of your versions probably say, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's sort of the, the traditional rendering that maybe some of you have memorized and heard before. And so we see in a little different version the same idea, the same concept. And so uh, let, me, let me put this into context for us as best I can. This verse is found in the book of Proverbs, which you know. And Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is, it is written by different people over a period of time, but it is primarily for the gaining of wisdom. That's what it says at the very beginning of the book. And so we, we know this is, hey, this is good advice. This is something that, yeah, you apply the principles in Proverbs, things are probably going to work out. No guarantees, but things will probably work out. But it goes beyond good advice because in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, you don't have to turn there, it's not going to be on the screen, but, but understand this, that before the writer finishes Proverbs, before the editor puts it all together, verse, verse 7 of chapter 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That those who despise wisdom and knowledge are foolish, but, but those who fear the Lord are going to seek wisdom. And so the whole rest of Proverbs is based upon the fear or the respect, the love, the admiration, the devotion to the Lord. So this is not just a good piece of advice. Hey, that's great. Let's go out the door with that. Isn't that good? Pat you on the back. Wonderful piece of advice. Put it up on your mirror and think about it during the day. This is based upon how we love God and how we honor Him through what we do. And so Proverbs makes it clear. These are not just good pieces of advice. These are things that people who love God and want to honor Him will do. And so it goes beyond that. You, you see what I'm saying? In context, we understand that, yeah, this is great advice, but it's way beyond that. It's not just, well, do this, and yeah, that, that's good, but, well, there's another way to do it. This is what the Bible is saying here. Boy, if you love God, if you're devoted to Him, you'll apply the wisdom you see in Proverbs. And so I want us to, to think about that a little bit as we move forward. There, there are two key words, obviously, in, in this particular passage of Scripture, in this verse. One is teach, obviously. The other is way. Teach a youth in the way they should go. And, and, and so we, we see that, that there are, obviously, we see this pattern in the Bible, and we see it in common sense. There are two paths in life you can choose. There, there's, not, there's, there's really not more than that. You can either choose God's way or choose the world's way. That's it. Some of us have chosen God's way for a while. Some of us have chosen the world's way for a while. We realize, you're going to pick one or the other. In Psalm chapter 1, you write down the reference if you want to. We won't turn there. But Psalm chapter 1 highlights two different kinds of people. There are people who, the Bible says, blessed is the person who does not walk in the path of sinners, who chooses to meditate on God's word day and night and let that feed them. They're strong. They're blessed by God. And then in the second half of that passage, it says, but those who choose the other path, the wicked, they're not like that. They're like chaff, the Bible says, the leftover stuff from the harvest that the wind just blows away. Eventually their life is going to crumble. Eventually they'll stand before God and have nothing good to say. And so you've got two paths you can choose. You say, well, okay, that's Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament. 
Matthew chapter 7 says that the path is wide and there are lots of people on it that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path and few are those who find it that leads to life. There are two paths you can choose. We all know that. That's no new revelation for you. You think, okay, what's the point? The point is, if we are going to understand how we are to train young people, and our kids in particular, if you happen to be a parent today, then we've got to realize they're going to choose one path or the other. They are going to pick it. How then can we help them? How can we help them choose the right path? So today is just a starting point for us. Proverbs 22.6 tells us that if we teach a, a young person the way they should go, when they are old, they won't depart from it. Now understand this. This is not a guarantee. This is not a rock-solid promise from God that if you have trained your kids and told them the exact right thing to do, that no matter what happens, no matter what choices they make in life, that they will always, 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 always come back to God. Not a guarantee. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and what that means is that this is the way that if you do life this way, generally it's going to turn out the way that it's supposed to. So we know that there may not be a guarantee, and some of us, some of us have been so brokenhearted, and maybe we've counted on this as being a promise from God, and I don't want to burst your bubble, but I have to be honest with you and say it's not a guarantee, but those who are trained in the way they should go typically stick with it. Typically. Not always, but they typically do. Those who are trained from a very early age in God's Word and how they should live their life according to His principles, usually they stay with it. And so that's what the writer is telling us. Look, if you teach young people the right way to go, typically they're going to stick with it even when they get older. And, 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 and a lot of times they may take a path a little bit, you know, it's divergent, but a lot of times they'll come back to it because they realize they've been trained in that right way. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have seen your own kids go a different way and then they've come back around. Some of you have lived your life in a way as a young person that was godly and then took a divergent path and came back around. It's not a guarantee, but there is a great likelihood that if we train young people, they've got a good chance of doing what God wants them to do for the rest of us. Does that make sense? You with me on that? Maybe we need to turn it up real loud and see. Yeah, there we go. Uh, there you go. How about that? And so, <clears throat> thanks. That was on cue, too. He's ready. He's, a, he's awake. How about that? So, so it's, it's not a guarantee. But there is a great likelihood that if we do and apply what, what Proverbs says, we've got a good chance of seeing our kids and the young people in our lives do what God wants them to do. So uh, obviously, well, that sounds great, good, you know, wonderful. Where do we start? And so I, I know that today we have a wide variety of people. We have some folks in here who I guarantee you that on Mother's Day, uh, a day that we think about parents and, and raising kids and all, that some of us today come, we just feel like a failure. We just feel like, you know what, if you only knew my kids, I, I've failed. I, I mean, I, I have dropped the ball. I, mean, I, I don't know what to do now. It, I, I've just failed. We have other people who say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really there yet. I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, a single young person or I don't have any children or what. I'm just not there yet. We have other people who, who, who would say, well, you know, it, it's, it's too late for me. I mean, my kids are grown and they've moved away. I mean, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, it's just it's too late. Um, we have other folks who, who have been very successful in raising kids. I mean, we can see that. We, we and applaud those of you who are very successful in raising godly, lifelong, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we see a wide variety of, of people. We have others who, who say, well, you know, I'm right in the middle of it, and I'm not even sure I can come up for air right now to hear something different about parenting. Let me put something else in there I'm supposed to be doing now. 
I got three kids. Lucy will be six next month, and she's our oldest. We got three under six. I'm right there too. I think, Lord, what else can I come up for air for? What other book can I read to try to figure out what on earth I'm doing? You know. And so maybe you maybe you've got that. And, and so all I'm trying to do today is give us some starting points. I I want to admit to you that I I don't know everything there is to know about parenting. Big shock to some of you. I don't know everything there is to know about it. I I, I am not standing here before you as an expert. I haven't written a book on this stuff and somehow put my name on it and claim that I know everything there is to know about parenting. I haven't been on Dr. Phil or Oprah to talk about it. They would not call me because I'm not an expert on parenting. I don't know everything that the Bible has to say about parenting. I have to be honest with you about that. I have a good idea of the general principles, but I haven't read every single thing the Bible has to say and extrapolated it all out, and here's your great study on it. I'm in it with you for those of you that are parents and grandparents, those of you that have young people around you, and and I'm ignorant of a lot of things. Uh, Sometimes I wonder and think, God, why did you make me a parent? I don't have the first clue what I'm doing. I have no idea. God, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why did my kid just do that when I told him to do this, you know? We, Nancy and I have our failures. We, we have times where our kids do exactly what they ought to do and other times when they don't. And, and sometimes they do what they're supposed to do in front of everybody and then sometimes they do what they're not supposed to do in front of everybody. And, and that's just the way that it is. And so I, I don't stand before you as some expert. I really don't. At the same time, I think if we can all approach this with saying, you know what, we don't know everything. We know God wants us to do something. Where can we start? And that's, that's sort of where I want us to go. And so for parents, for influencers of young people, for all of us, we, we've got to know how to train young people in the way they should go. And, 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 and I want us to help them choose one way or the other and, and to do our part. And so as we, as we look at some different things today, we'll use Proverbs 22.6 as our launching pad. We've got to train them. We have to help them choose the right path. But where do we go from there? How do we get going with that? I think if we read this and and immediately say, okay, I'm ready to get started. I don't have kids in my house, or I do. I've got some young people around me, or I don't. But I want to be an influencer. I want to help young people grow to know the Lord. We we probably then assume a lot of things. Well, yeah, this is probably what you ought to do. Or, well, don't do that. Do this, whatever. I, I think there are some faulty assumptions that we absolutely have to avoid. As we look at this, you'll see my children, my kids, parents, so on. Those terms, if they don't directly apply to you in the sense that you have children now living in your home or you are a parent or whatever, I want you to understand that we are geared, the Bible says, teach a youth, a young person. We've got to be about young people. I heard a pastor say one time, if you don't like kids, you don't like Jesus. If you're not into kids, you're not into Jesus because Jesus was into kids. He loved them. And so I want us to be into kids. I love it. I got to sit right there with them today, you know, and, and, and if I wasn't afraid of my soup busting out somewhere, I might have gotten right there on the floor with them, you know. But we got to be into kids. We have all got to be in this ballgame together. And so today we've, we've all got something we can hear from the Lord. So let, let's look at, very quickly, some faulty assumptions that parents or influencers must avoid. First one is this. I'm a Christian. You'll see them on the back of your bulletin. I'm a Christian, so they will be too. I am a Christian, so they will be too. Uh, my kids will just kind of pick it up. Romans chapter 14 is, a, is a, a verse that Paul gives us that really sort of just gives us an overarching principle that many of us know. Uh, Romans 14 verse 12 says this, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. That means 
that certainly it must start with you being a Christian and a devoted follower of Jesus. But that doesn't give your kids a pass. They aren't born into it. We're not talking about a royal family. They are not born into being a Christian. We are all by nature. We looked at this last week. We are all by nature absolutely sinful and hopeless. That's the great news, isn't it? We're all by nature that way. Your kids and my kids. Because apart from Jesus, as much as I hate to admit this, apart from Jesus, my kids will die and go to hell. I don't like that one bit. I wish they could just get a pass because I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, for crying out loud. Don't they get a pass? No. Each one of us will give an account for himself or herself before God. And so just because I am a Christian, just because I am a pastor, does not give my kids any different standing with God than any other person who is born into sin, and that includes all of us. And so we've got to understand it's a faulty assumption to assume, well, they'll just pick it up. They'll just kind of get it. I'm a Christian. They'll just pass on to them. Another faulty assumption is this, that they just need to be able to get along in the world. They just need to be able to get along in the world. Certainly the skills that we teach them to survive and to make it in life and to get along with people and to advance and to have some skill in the business world or the farm world or the education field or whatever it is that you may do, certainly those skills are important. There is no doubt that we have got to be people who can make it in the world or we'll probably have no influence whatsoever. But Luke chapter 9 highlights it this way. And sort of puts it in order for us. Just one verse I want you to look at, 9.25. It says, What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? We can teach our kids lots of stuff. But if we get it out of order, then we have set them up to gain the whole world, be really successful, make lots of friends, be the most popular person that they can be, be the best at whatever they do. But we have set them up to forfeit their very lives. We've got to get it in order because then all the other stuff makes sense. Once we understand, you know what? I'm not here just to help my kids get along in the world. I'm I'm here to help them become devoted, lifelong followers of Jesus and then everything else we'll teach them, but it'll be in order. And we'll make sure that as they're devoted, lifelong followers of Jesus, they know how to get along in the world so that they can take Jesus to the world, but not the other way around. And so it's not just about getting them to be able to get along in the world. The other stuff is great, but it's not going to save them. It won't give them eternal salvation. A third faulty assumption is this. If I take them to church, I've done my job. This is a tough one. If I take them to church, I've done my job. I I think we see in Deuteronomy, way over in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that really taking them to church as God has commanded, although that may be an absolute necessity and importance, it is not the only thing that we should be doing. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 6. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, understand that the church was not what we know it as today, but this is a responsibility given to parents to teach the Word of God, to influence their kids to follow the Bible, to have it in their home that is something that is prominent, that guides everything else. 
Taking your kids to church is incredible. And I think you ought to do it every chance you get. But it's not the only job that we have. It starts with what are we saying in our home? How are we leading them when they're not at church? You know, they spend about an hour a week at church. I mean, think about it. Maybe two. If you brought your kids this morning at 9 o'clock, they will get out of here somewhere around 11, maybe 11, 15. I don't know how long I go here. But that's two hours. For some of us, we, didn't, we, we came only at 10. No problem. But that's only an hour. If we think that, well, I've done my job. I got them to church. Good grief. They, they'll fix the kids. They'll, you know, just let them go talk to them, you know. And, wow, one hour. They spend a whole lot more time in your home than they'll ever spend at church. Faulty assumption, another one is, I don't need to push them about what they believe. <clears throat> I don't need to push them about what they believe. This is great in our society today because we're so tolerant of everybody that we don't say anything that's halfway true to anybody. And so, especially uh, to our family, we just think, well, I, oh, I don't want to make anybody mad. I, you know, they need to make their own decisions now. They've got to take ownership for this stuff. And, well, if I push them, maybe I'll push them away. Well, if I, if I try to guide them in this way, what if they rebel against it? What's going to happen? Faulty assumption that we don't need to push them. Ezekiel chapter 3 gives us a picture of God saying to his prophet, look, here's what you are to do for the people that you are responsible for. Ezekiel was a prophet to the, to the nation. And, he, and, and God says, look, here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 17. Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. This idea of being a watchman is not something we can take and say, well, that must be speaking directly to me. I need to go be a watchman over our nation and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Not really the case, but the principle here is that when God said to Ezekiel, if you warn somebody and they don't turn away, at least you've told them, at least you've warned them. But if you don't, guess who's responsible? Not only them, but I'm coming after you. Parents, I have to take this to heart because if I don't warn my kids, the Bible calls this, this person we're supposed to warn, wicked. Boy, that's a tough thing to say about my kids. But again, we go back there, born into sin. If I do not warn and call on the person who is born into sin to give their life to Jesus Christ and live for him, if they die, they will be punished and God's going to come looking for me. So should I push them or not push them? Obviously, rules without a relationship equals rebellion, and I understand all that. But I've got a responsibility. And I have a responsibility to teach them about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be creative about it. I'm going to try to do it the best I can. I'm not going to try to be an arrogant jerk about it. But I'm not going to sit back and watch them die. I'm not going to sit back and watch them be apart from Jesus. I've got to do something. I've got to try to save them from the wickedness that's in this world. So the, the assumption that I don't need to push them about what they believe, faulty assumption. Another assumption, there's nothing really, there's nothing I can really do. There's nothing I can really do. Well, I, you know, I don't really have all the answers. I don't know anything. John chapter 15 
verse 5, makes it clear, and this is a very simple verse. Jesus here says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in him produce as much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. Truth is, in and of ourselves, we can't do anything. But Jesus says, if you remain in me, you'll produce a lot of fruit. You might even produce fruit in your kids. You might see your kids come to know the Lord in a way that you never thought was possible. Because apart from Him, we can't do anything. But with Him, there is nothing that is impossible. There is not a person in your life that cannot be turned around to Jesus Christ if He gets involved in the situation. You on your own, we can't do anything. But with Jesus, all things are possible. He gives us great power, great wisdom, determination, everything we need to see our kids come to Jesus. The last faulty assumption is this. I'm in it by myself. I am in it by myself. You ever felt alone? You ever felt like, you know what, I'm raising kids, nobody else gets it? Nobody else has ever been in this situation? Nobody else has ever had three kids under six years old? Nobody's ever been a pastor and done all that? Those are the things I think to myself. I'm I'm in it all by myself. Nobody gets it. Nobody's ever been in this situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 gives us this truth. Look at verse 5. So what is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equal, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So what on earth does that mean? The truth is, Paul was saying, look, we are in it together. That's what I said at the very beginning. If we're not into kids, we're not into Jesus. If we're not into our kids here and everybody's kids as best we can, we're really not into the Lord because we have got to be in it together. We have all got to chip in, every one of us all the time, doing the best we can. Somebody's going to water that seed that was planted. Somebody's going to come along and say the right thing at the right time. Somebody's going to be that Sunday school teacher, that person that shakes a hand, that person that puts an arm around the shoulder or prays for a young person. Somebody's going to do that, and it can't be just the parents. It's got to be all of us. We cannot have our parents being in it alone. If you find yourself past the parenting age or not a parent, find somebody that you can get involved with their life and say, how can I pray for your kids? How can I help your kids? Every young person you come into contact with, speak the Word of God into their life somehow. We are all in it together all the time. He says we are God's laborers. We are in it together. We're not in it by ourselves, or at least we shouldn't be. And I want us to be a church of people It says we are in it together, all of us, all the time. Those are some faulty assumptions that you've got to avoid. And as we close, I want us to look at some necessary commitments that every parent, every influencer of a kid has to make. And we'll run through these pretty quickly. But I want you to consider how can you make these commitments in your life. Here we go. First commitment, I will pray with and for my kids. Some of us say, I don't know where to start. Start here. I will pray with and for my kids. Your kids may be in your home. They may not be. Begin now. I will pray with and for my kids. Not just at meals, though you may need to start there. No problem. Start there and continue it somewhere else. Be consistent. I think one interesting thing to do would be to record what they're praying for. Write it down. Fifteen years from now, give it to them. Say, here's what you were praying for fifteen years ago. I wrote everything, everything down. 
Look at what God did. Write down answers to prayers that they have. Let them hear you pray. Model it for them. Have them repeat something after you. Then challenge them to pray on their own. Get their input on what they want to pray about. And then pray about those things over and over and over again. Lucy, for the longest time, prayed for the same little girl over and over. I haven't seen her at church in a long time. Let's pray for her. Lucy, is there anybody else? Nope, just her. Okay, we prayed for her for like two months until she saw her again at church. We got her input. I'm no genius, but I just figured, well, if something's on her heart, let's pray about it. Uh, talk about the ways that God answers prayer in your life and in your kids' lives. So I will pray with and for my kids. Another commitment, I will provide appropriate boundaries for my kids. You knew this was coming. You, you knew this was going to come. We're going to have to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about it. You know the Bible talks about discipline and just sort of a correcting, corralling, kind of making sure they're going the right way, adding a little bit here, adding a little bit here. Certainly there is discipline that may require a little bit of physical contact on the bottom from time to time. But, but for some of you just freaking out, because in today's world that's totally not, you know, not, not the way you're supposed to do it. But anyway, but the Bible talks about it over and over, that we are to provide boundaries for our kids. Boundaries ultimately... Uh, determine that kids find out what their responsibility is in life, uh, what, what life is all about. They, they, dis, they discover that life is not all about them and what they want when they want it. The problem is if we let kids determine that life is going to be about what they want when they want it, they grow up. And then they become adults who think that life is about what they want when they want it. And nobody really likes those people at all. Nobody does. Don't, please don't elbow anybody. Nobody really likes those people who they always have to get what they want when they want it because they never were taught as a kid. Let me tell you this. There is an excellent book, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get into all of it. It's called Boundaries with Kids. If you're struggling with it as a parent, my kids are out of control. I don't know what to do. Here's a good book, Boundaries with Kids by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's interesting they did some research on some adults who did not learn boundaries as a child. Here's what their problems were later in life as adults, not as kids. An inability to say no to hurtful people or set limits on hurtful behaviors from others. An inability to say no to their own destructive impulses. An inability to hear no from others and to respect their limits. Inability to delay gratification and accomplish goals and tasks tendency to be attracted to irresponsible or hurtful people and then try to fix them. Taking responsibility for other people's lives. The ability to be easily manipulated or controlled. Struggles with intimacy and maintaining closeness with others. Inability to be honest with those they are close to. Inability to, comf- to confront others and resolve conflicts productively. Experiencing life as a victim instead of living it purposefully with a feeling of self-control. Addictions and compulsions, disorganization and lack of follow-through. How many of you want to say, hey, that's me. Boy, I'd love to live a life like that. But the problem is that if we don't set appropriate boundaries for our children and our young people, that's what we're turning them into. They become some messed up adults. If we don't set appropriate boundaries, I wish we had more time to go into all that. But if you love your kids and the young people around you, you'll set boundaries. The Bible says that the Lord even disciplines those he loves. The Lord sets boundaries because he loves us. Not because he's trying to keep us from something, but because he sees the end. He knows what he wants us to become. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. 
Another commitment. I will show my kids how to apply biblical principles. I will show them how to apply biblical principles. A couple things you can do here. Look for teachable moments. Listen for a question. You pass something. You see something at the store. You think of something. Take advantage of teachable moments and talk to your kids. Talk to the young people in your life. I have this come up from time to time. Lucy will pass something. Lucy will ask a question. And immediately I think, you know what? Don't miss this. Don't blow it. Take advantage of what God has just put before you, a teachable moment, and then show them how in that situation you can apply a biblical principle. And don't miss the fact that often we teach more when we don't say anything than when we're rambling on and on about nothing at all. Because if you yourself are not applying biblical principles in your own life, if I'm not doing it in my own life, there is no way that we can expect our kids to do that. They're watching. And that's an old cliche. But what you do with your money, how you handle your coworkers, how honest and full of integrity you are will be seen by your kids. Don't give them a double standard. Don't let them see one thing that you say and another thing you do. Boy, I tell you, we've all been there. I know I have. Take advantage of those teachable moments. It's not just about knowledge. It's not just about knowing a bunch of verses. It's about being able to apply all of that and bring it out into the real world. How does the Bible apply? Teach them and show them how to apply biblical principles. Another one, I will help them become who God created them to be and go where God wants them to go. This may be the hardest one for parents because this isn't the safest one. This isn't the one that keeps them living down the street. This isn't the one that keeps them in the same town. This isn't one that keeps them in the same state all the time, though it may. But if you help your kids become who God wants them to be and go where God wants them to go, then you have been absolutely successful. They may stay right here in Murray, Kentucky for the rest of their lives. As long as they're who God wants them to be and going where God wants them to go, praise God, you have done your job. But if we put limitations if we don't draw out of our kids who God really wants them to be and be willing to send them out after we've raised them up. And I question how much we really are on board with what God may really want to do in their lives. I have no idea what that means for you and your kids. I don't even know what it means for me and my kids. All I know is I want them to become what God wants them to be and go wherever He sends them. And I don't want to be a hindrance to them whatsoever. I want to be able to draw that out of them. And then finally, I will take responsibility for the discipleship of my children. That's a loaded word, discipleship. Because sometimes we think, well, that's great. We'll just kind of follow Jesus around and make sure we're doing all the right things. A disciple in the New Testament was somebody who said, you know what, I'm leaving everything behind. I am devoting everything I have, my entire life, to Jesus Christ no matter what it costs. No matter where it takes me, no matter how much it hurts. And that's what we have to be responsible for. We can't just expect it to, to happen. We've got to be intentional. There is so much at stake. I will take responsibility for the discipleship of my children. Two verses I want to close with. The first is the one that we opened with. Teach a youth in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And then in Ephesians, a great verse that parents like to use against their kids Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> we forget about this last verse. I'll start with the part that we really like as parents. You ready? Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Oh, I like that one. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So here's where we say, well, you know, it's good for you too, that, that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. And here's the part that we forget. And fathers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children. Okay, fine, all right, I won't make them mad. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's not enough just to say, well, I've made my parents, my my children obey me. I've made them do what they're supposed to do. They honor me. Or, you know, I I really don't, don't stir up anger in them. I don't make them unnecessarily mad. Train them, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's our mandate from God. That's our responsibility for our children that live in our homes, for the young people we'll come into contact with. We are responsible before God for how we influence the young people in our lives, and particularly the children that he blesses us with. Our goal is to make lifelong disciples of those, and we have got to remain as a result of that desperate to see God do something, to see him raise up our kids.